Here I am. Take the sandals from your feet. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. Who are you? I am that I am. I don't understand. I am the God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry. Stop it! Leave that man alone! So I have come down to deliver them out of slavery and bring them to a good land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And so unto Pharaoh I shall send you. Love that movie. Such a good one. If you haven't seen it yet, I encourage you to watch it. Oh, wouldn't it be amazing if the Lord would just speak that way? Like if you could just maybe have like a, I don't know, burning bark lounger I don't know, whatever you've got in your home that would somehow then come forth and you'd be able to know exactly what God wanted you to do. You'd know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It would come forward. It would sound amazing. You'd probably have to wear a veil over your face for the rest of your life, but that would be cool. Um, but there's this uh, thing in us that would love to know exactly what it is that God wants to do. And what we're going to find out from the word is that God isn't just speaking and has spoken that way to Moses. In fact, Hebrews chapter 8 is going to say something really powerful. What it's going to say is this, that God, yes, spoke to Moses that way, and he had this amazing partnership and covenant, but there is a better one that has come through Jesus Christ, and that better mediator, that better leader, that better covenant comes to us, and because of that, we can actually know the heart of God for ourselves as revealed through the Son of God. So we actually don't need a burning bush any longer because God has come by his Son to reveal to us who he is and what he's doing. We can know the heart of the Father. There is an absolute invitation all throughout the word for us to know the heart of God and his will for our lives. There is an invitation. It doesn't have to be a mystery, and we don't have to have a burning bush. We can have that connection with God through his son. In Romans chapter 12, Paul is uh, unpacking the full counsel, the, the, the kind of the, the most full picture of any of the books of the Bible that we have. He's declaring the fullness of the gospel and what it means for our lives. And he makes this radical statement in Romans chapter 12. And he says, I'm going to appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies 
of God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that's good and acceptable and perfect. Now, uh, there is more we could unpack in just these two verses. I, I, we could spend two full years on just these two verses, talking through the fullness of all that this means. means. But I just want to focus on one element this morning, just to try to get through the core of this text, what it's bringing to us, and it's expressed right here at the end of verse two. And there's a promise of God, a promise that we can discern and know the will of the Father and to be able to walk with God in our lives. And not only that we can know his will, but that it is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Now, if I could have three descriptors of a life that everyone would love to have, it would be good and pleasing and perfect. I don't care who you are or where you're coming from, whether you believe in Jesus or an atheist or you're far from God or you've been with him for the last 50 years, everyone on the earth is looking for good and pleasing and perfect. Everybody wants that. And what the scripture is saying to us is you want a collision for what is good and pleasing and perfect. It is at the center point, the will of God. The will of God is the centerpiece of good, pleasing, and perfect. It is the place where we find the fullness of life. We can cook up all kinds of great ideas, ways to live, relationships to have, careers to step into. We can do all of those things. Hear this, none of it will bring good, pleasing, and perfect that isn't the will of the Father. And so there's this invitation that you can have this. You can have and discern and know and receive this good, pleasing, and perfect will that's what God wants to give to us. That's what his heart is, that his will, that's the centerpiece of what's good, pleasing, and perfect. And the implications of this text are not just that you and I can see it, but that we can know it, discern it, and be able to actually walk in it. Something we can have in our lives, meaning God's in the business of telling us He's in the business of revealing to us his heart, his truth, and his word. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, you're, those, it creates in us some questions that I think every one of us has, right? We, if we can know the will of God, right, that's at the center point of even the questions of our life. Like, what is God's will for my life? You ever asked that or wondered that? What's God's will for my life? Or can I really know? God's will. 
for my life? Or how do I discover God's will for my life? Or this one, which I hear almost maybe more than any other, which is, have I messed up God's will for my life? I don't know if you've ever had that question. I have. I've asked that many times. Have I messed it up? Can you mess it up? Well, that's what I want to dive into over the next few weeks. These are the huge questions that we have in life. And so our question this morning is really twofold, coming out of this verse two, which is what is the will of God and how? How do I get to know it? We'll take several weeks to unpack the different facets of all of that. This morning, I just want to take an opportunity to start with the what of God's will, that we can actually begin to see and understand what the what of God's will from the whole of Scripture. And what we're going to see is that there are different facets and different angles and different perspectives that the Scripture brings to us about the will of God. And this morning, we're just going to quickly unpack three facets of his will so that we can begin to just like enter into this conversation over the next month. So it's going to take just a little bit of thinking. I'm going to be maybe even just like tiny bit cerebral with you this morning. Even as I was studying it, my mind was starting to like melt out of my face. Like I just felt the weight of stepping into knowing the will of God it's such an, it's, it's a fascinating topic. And what we're going to see through the scripture is that God has this sovereign will and God has this moral will and then God has this personal will. And all of these we're going to see different experience and expre- expressions of throughout the scripture. And I just want to take a moment to look at these for a, moment, uh, for a little bit, and then um, we'll step into uh, the full, more fullness of it over the coming weeks. Now, if you do a search in any kind of like search engine or Bible app or whatever, you're, in the scripture, you won't find anything that says sovereign will or moral will or even personal will of God. What you're going to just see is the will of God. That's what you're going to see in Scripture. So you try to search for those things, but you won't find those phrases. But what we will see is the unveiling of each of those facets of the will of God and then what it actually means, each one of them, over our lives. And so let's ask the question, what is the sovereign will of God? What is the sovereign will of God? Sovereign will of God. God's sovereign will is that divine plan, his divine plan, and his purposes that will always be accomplished without fail. That is the sovereign will of God, and it is rich. Daniel chapter 4, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. He is the sovereign of the universe. Psalm 115, three, our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases, all. He is the sovereign, and that is good news this morning, because on your worst and darkest 
and hardest day, God has sovereign keeping power over you and me. We need God to be the sovereign of the universe. He carries us. Life's gonna have these radical ups and downs. And we need to know that one, we are not alone, nor do we pray to or come to a God who is unable to hear or unable to act on your behalf. We need to know that. He's the sovereign of the universe. And nothing, everyone say nothing. Nothing can stop the sovereign will of God. Nothing. In Acts chapter two, Peter is lit up. And he has gone from this naive and foolhardy disciple who is so well-meaning, right? If you read the story of the disciple Peter, so well-meaning, but also just like so young. You just feel and see his immaturity. And it was just... And, and thank God it was him, because if it was our immaturity in the pages of the Bible, it'd be like, oh man, geez, right? But we get to see his kind of on display. And then in Acts chapter two, God sends his spirit and he falls and Peter is transformed. And he begins to preach and in Acts chapter two, he is making a radical declaration. He has stepped into the fullness of what God had designed him for. And he makes an unbelievable statement as a part of this sermon that he's preaching that thousands are going to respond to. And he says, I want to tell you about this Jesus in Acts chapter 2, 23. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And right here, he just wants to step in and say, hear this, Jesus was always going to come from the Father. All of human history was going to lead up to this moment. This was the sovereign plan of God from the beginning. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was always going to the cross. Nothing, hear this, nothing was going to stop Jesus going to the cross. The entire Old Testament, every book is screaming all the way along. There is one who is coming and he cannot be thwarted. He cannot be stopped. This plan will take place and he will save us forever. This is the sovereign will of God. First Peter chapter 18, the very same one who preached that message, he's writing a letter. He's trying to help the church out. And he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the foundation of the world. 
the sovereign God of the universe has always designed for our salvation in his son from the get-go. He is sovereign and nothing can stop his divine plans. So the question we get to ask is, well, if that's true, well, it does kind of seem like there are things that happen that are not God's will. Well, how do we reconcile that, right? There are things that happen all the time that seem like they aren't God's plan or they aren't God's will. And that's because there is a facet of God's design over creation that is going to call us to partnership with him. And that's what we know through the word of God is his moral will. So we have the sovereign will where God will accomplish his plans and purposes throughout the ages. And yet there is a facet of his will, his moral will, where he's inviting us into partnership. God's moral will, will are those places, the commandments, the decrees of God for mankind to obey and to trust him. To say, this is what my call on your life is. To follow me and trust me in this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, the world is passing away along with its desires. You even feel that. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's so rich about this is that the world's in chaos. You can feel it. And he's just saying, whoever will just trust and follow and walk and obey the will of God gets a life, gets to abide. But the very nature of this word from God says, whoever, meaning there will be some that will go, no thanks, I'm not doing it. I don't want your will, I want my will. I don't want your way, I want my way. And they'll walk in it. There are some who won't do this will. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. There's a plan. I have a design here. But the truth is, and without going and creating and making this PG-13 kind of a sermon, this is violated all the time, every day. This decree, this commandment, this call to partnership with God is not followed. And so how do we have a God who has both a sovereign will over all things, he does as he pleases, that always happens in a moral will that gets violated on a regular basis. And the answer is, well, this is what makes God, God, which is such a horrible answer. Thanks, pastor, right? That's not helpful. One of the clearest evidences, actually, that we have all throughout the scripture, where we get to see the differences of these wills and yet the intermingling of God's sovereign will and his moral will is actually through the sacrifice of Jesus. It's actually the best picture, one of the best pictures we have. You've got this ironclad all the way throughout the scripture, all the way through the Bible, the fact that God is morally forbidding murder. 
and the taking of innocent life, says in Exodus 23, going all the way back, right? Do not kill the innocent. Do not take innocent life. And yet, in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus are lit on fire. They've been, they've been being persecuted, but God is doing this amazing work among them and they're like singing songs and they're declaring these truths. And in Acts chapter four, they say, truly in this city, we're gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So we have both this weird intermingling, this conundrum of God who says, do not, it's wrong to take innocent life. And yet God has willed for, declared or decided or chosen for from the beginning, Jesus to go to the cross. And so one of the holiest, hear this, one of the holiest truths about God that we get to embrace in just submitting to the Bible, in submitting to the biblical truth, is that God never, ever, ever, ever does evil, ever does sin, and yet can be the sovereign Lord over the things that are broken on this earth. And we get to see it first and foremost in the crucifixion of the Son of God. It was both wrong and yet God was sovereign all the way over it. And so how do we hold these truths together? The answer is deeply and steadfastly we hold on to it, right? We get to live in this tension. We're actually called to honor and to trust and obey God's moral will. But even when we're broken and we don't, God's sovereign will is at work. He's moving and declaring and working all the time. There is no event or broken thing in you that can uh, supersede the sovereign will of God. How do we know that? Because he's saying it all the time in Romans chapter eight, makes one of the most rich promises you and I will ever have in this life. Verse 28, and we know that those who love, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is this scripture saying? It's saying that all things God is working all things. Now, does that say good things? No. Does it say the kind of things or the bad things or the fun things or the hard things? No. What does he say? God is working all things. He's the sovereign of the universe. And in the midst of when the moral will of God is broken, God is still working. And that's good news. That's really good news. God never, ever sins, and yet he's the sovereign Lord over every broken thing. And he is working even pain and sin for our good. I don't know if you've ever said this before. In fact, I feel probably certain that everybody feels this at some point. You'll have a moment or season of your life where you'll look back on 
And you'll go, I would never, ever, ever choose that or wish that on anyone what I walked through. And yet, that has shaped me and changed me. And I would not change what it has done in my life. Been there. We've all been there. We've looked at hard and painful places, places where we've even failed and fallen short, places where we ran from God. You ever had that season? Maybe you're in it right now. And you want to go, I think I've messed everything up. I, th- I think I've messed this thing up. I don't, I don't know. I didn't do the will of God. I didn't walk in his ways. And God can take the ways that we violate and walk against and miss out on this beautiful moral design that God has for our lives and still say, but I'm the sovereign and I'm working for your good. I'm taking the most broken things that you've ever experienced it and I will turn it and use it to change and transform your life. That's the beauty of the God that we serve. And if you're asking exactly how does that work, well, that is for a pay grade that is above my head. I'm just being honest with you. Sorry. Maybe a smarter or better pastor can explain to you how God is sovereign over all things, and yet you and I make real choices and decisions of our own will that we'll get to give an account for. But hear this. What we know is that in all things, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, he's working for our good. So you can rest easy. If you want to go, man, have I totally messed up God's will? Have I totally missed it? I didn't make that one decision. I didn't go that one way. Hear this. Your father is so much bigger and better than that. You didn't miss anything. You're on a trajectory for greatness. And I'm here preaching to you right now. And candidly, I'm preaching to myself so that you and I can step into tomorrow with confidence that we can know our Father's heart and his will for our lives. He's the sovereign. He's calling us to partnership. And there are things that we may not fully understand. Just like for the last month, we celebrated the fact that a young lady became pregnant somehow divinely only by the covering of the spirit over her life. And we believed it and trust in it and stand in it. And we can continue to do that. And these things are actually meant, by the way, to blow our minds. They're meant to just make us go, how, God? How can you do all of these things? They stir us to know him and trust him more. And those that are created in his image, I don't think we'll be able to, at least in this side of heaven, be able to fully understand. And yet, we can trust the complexities of our creator. There's a day coming where we'll see him face to face and we'll know and we'll understand. It just isn't yet. So let's live in the tension of the sovereign will of God and the moral will of God. And, and then finally, this last little piece, which is the personal will of God. God's personal will are those unique things that God wants to do in and through individual lives. Because the good news is this, in the sovereign counsel and the way that he's designed us, not a one of us 
are the exact same. Each and every one of us has divine design and call. And it's personal and it's unique. And God's personal will and call on your life is beautiful. That's the promise. It's awesome. And it's unfolding. God didn't create an army of robots that are exactly alike. He created individuals made in his image with different personalities and expressions and purposes and designs. And it's amazing. God knows the name. He's designed and created and knows the name of every star. And he somehow miraculously knows the number of hairs on your head. Hear this. He without question has personal intent and design for your life. He has that. And he is eager for us to ask him and to step more into it. And I don't care if you're 12 or 120, wherever you're at on this journey, there is more for us to say yes to in partnering with the will of God, the personal will of God over our lives. And there are facets of God's heart and his will that are for every one of us. We know that, his moral will, but there are facets that are unique and personal. Ephesians chapter two says, for we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which gets to bring us to that question. If that's true, that there are, there's, a sovereign will, but there's a moral will, but then there's this personal will. There's unique things, then we get to go, okay, well, God, how, how do I get to know and how do I get to step in? And then we can get to go back to our core text here. And we're gonna be ask, answering more of that question over the next several weeks, but I wanna go back to Romans 12. It's gonna say this in verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed any longer to the way that the world operates, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing, the changing, the shaping, the reshaping of our hard mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the NIV version. And so there's a call here. Hear this, there's a call. There's a then in this verse. It means that something needs to begin to take place in us in order to gain discernment and understanding of what the will of God is. It's not God holding a carrot and a stick. It's actually the invitation of the Lord. You wanna know what I have designed for you. Come and be transformed. Don't go the way of the world. Let my design over your life begin to take over where we come to him and say, not my way, but yours. 
And honestly, I can't think of a better way to start 2024 than just being a church, being a, a family of people that are willing to say, not my way, God, yours. Not my way, yours. I don't know, I'll just be, I've prayed a bunch of things, I think, in my life that seemed like good ideas to me, but weren't necessarily the will of the Lord. I'm sure we've all had moments or things we've asked for or thought. Maybe even the Lord was trying to do, and we've said, God, would you do this? Or God, would you do that? And I think those are great prayers, but I just, I think there's something really unique and powerful about coming to the Lord and saying, God, would you just renew my mind? Would you come and shape and change and transform the way that I think that I don't go to the way of the world, but I want to be lined up for what you want to say, that God, you're not often answering prayers because you're totally shifting. You're moving, you're shaping me in ways I could not think for myself. That's what he wants to do. And so it starts with just a yielding, a yielding to the Lord. There's an invitation today just to yield. And that can be hard, I'm just being honest, but that can be challenging to yield. And even as I was preparing for this, I think the Lord's poking on a few places in me to say, are you willing to yield? Are you willing to yield and let your heart, your mind be transformed? So you can know my heart for what I have for you in the days ahead? That's a rich question for each one of us to get to ask. Because what we'll find and what we actually get to see in the pattern in Scripture over and over is that the more that we surrender to the sovereign will of God and the more we trust and obey and walk in the moral will of God, and I think the easier the open door, if you will, the more of the open door that we get to begin to discern and hear the personal will of God. And that's what I would love for us as a church to be able to step into. How do we know that? Because you can go back to verse one, right, where you're at. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. This is your act of worship. This is your act of devotion. And you guys can come up. We're going to get ready. Here it is. If you want to begin to step into knowing more of the will of God and his designs and his plans for you, then we get to come and say, Lord, make my life a living sacrifice. I'm ready. Whatever you want for me, whatever you want for my family, whatever you want for my heart and what you want for my career and what you want for uh, my leadership and wherever you're leading, God, that's what I want. I want that. I'm a living sacrifice. And what's so beautiful is that you and I can become living sacrifices only because he first sacrificed for us. So you and I aren't coming. It's not, God's not saying, up, oh, you better get your life right. You better get your life figured out. If you wanna know my will, you better chase after the stick and the carrot. No, actually what he's saying is, I sacrificed for you, so receive that so that you have something to give. 
You wanna be a living sacrifice to the Lord? We gotta receive the sacrifice. So that's what we're gonna do this morning is we finish as an opportunity to first just receive the sacrifice of Jesus over our lives. And I'm so grateful for that. Would you pray with me? Let's ready our heart. Jesus, your very word says to become a living sacrifice. And yet we cannot do it. We cannot create it. We cannot come with enough. We have, don't have enough to give. We have our righteousness that is filthy and broken. It's, not, it's nothing. And yet, Jesus, your sacrifice gave us everything. Your body broken and your blood shed changed us and made us new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And you gave us a new identity. You gave us a brand new family to walk in. You've opened the door for us to know your heart and to discern what your will is, is good and pleasing and perfect. We're so grateful. So would you make our heart ready to receive again your beautiful sacrifice over our lives, to be made clean, to be made whole. We recognize here together your body broken for us. It was the pathway to pursue and to purchase for us healing and wholeness. And Jesus, your blood shed for us that created a new covenant that washed us clean and gave us a brand new identity. And we receive that again. And from what we receive, Lord, from our new identity, we live living sacrifice unto you. That's our worship, is to give you these lives that you have made so beautiful and so glorious. We receive again your work, Jesus, from the cross. In a moment, I'm just going to invite you to come and to receive. In fact, will you stand as I pray over you to come receive the elements? As soon as you receive the elements, you can come down the middle aisle. And as soon as you receive the elements, you can take them. Uh, You're free to receive it uh, there in the moment. Or if you want to take it back to your chair, you can do that. Our team is going to worship over us. And we'll finish together in worship. I'll pray. Father, we now receive these elements, your body broken and your blood shed. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice. We receive it and we live as living sacrifices unto you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You're free to come.